Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the Gospel and the Church. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart. We'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's wonderful to be back with you again. I've had a lovely week off, but here I am back again and excited to get into 1 Thessalonians with you all. So this morning we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 still. We're, we're still just working our way slowly through all these little uh, staccato um, commands and encouragements that uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 gives us. And we've talked before about how each one of them really is like um, a gem in the necklace of the Christian life. Each one kind of sums up something uh, which is foundational and marks the Christian life. And uh, Andy was focusing on the, the, the one of rejoicing last week, but now we're moving into verse 17 and we're given this command, pray without ceasing. This is the, the, the next marker of the Christian life, pray without ceasing. Now, a command like that can sometimes sound quite daunting. Uh, I've heard of people who kind of think of it in terms of you start a prayer and it just carries on going throughout the day and into the next day. And you just carry on the pray. The, the praying doesn't cease. Uh, and it's funny, really, because we could read it like, that way in English. Say really, really long prayers that just keep on going or don't have a minute of your day where you're not praying. Um and I think some people find this really quite a, a challenge. Well, I have to obey it because it's in the Bible. But how do I pray without ceasing? Do I have to be praying every minute of the day? And thankfully, there isn't actually that confusion in, in, in Greek, in the language it was written in. In Greek, there's two different ways to give a command that we don't have in English. So one way, which is called a, an aorist imperative, is when you're commanding a specific action at a specific time. Go and tidy your room. That's a specific action. Go and do it now. Whereas a present imperative is where a command is um, is commanding you to form a habit. So tidy up after yourself. That's a command for a be in the habit of tidying up after yourself. And in the same way, pray without ceasing. This is a, a present imperative. So the command here is to make it a habit of continual prayer. Make praying your habit and don't cease that habit. And so it's really a call for us to, as I say, as I said at the beginning, to be marked as Christians by prayer, to constantly be coming before God, to make that our habit. Now, the funny thing is, I have never met a Christian, uh, even some of the godliest, most um, thirsty for God Christians I've met, the thing that seems to unite all of us is that everyone is uh, dissatisfied with their prayer life. They feel they don't pray enough, or they don't um, come to God as much as they should, and they're not, uh, perhaps they don't um, mean the things they say as much as they should. It's very, I always find it very interesting that we, it seems to be what unites us. I mean, I, I would I would join that. I, I, I'd say that my prayer life is not what I want it to be. And I don't know anyone who says, and it is how I want it to be. If you If you are satisfied with your prayer life, Give me some tips. <laughs> sounds sounds wonderful, but uh, I, I definitely feel myself in the boat of not being satisfied. And I think it's a funny kind of thing that uh, it's very common that people struggle with it. I wonder what it is about prayer 
that means so many people are feeling like I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied with the habit I'm in. I don't feel like I'm living up to this command to be in the habit of praying and not letting that habit cease. I wonder what it is. See, I I wonder um, that maybe the reason that we struggle with our prayer life is because we put the emphasis in the wrong place when it comes to prayer. That maybe maybe you know what I mean. That you kind of feel a pressure of prayer, and I think it's definitely uh, true that if you look at kind of the theological and philosophical questions about prayer that we tend to ask they would seem to reflect this same issue that we put the emphasis in the wrong place. I mean, the amount of times I've heard questions like, if God is uh, sovereign, if God has predestined everything, then what's the point of praying? Questions like that, or questions like, um, what stops God from saying yes to my prayer? Or, Or is God not answering my prayer because I've sinned? These kind of questions kind of, what they all have in common is that they reflect that prayer is ultimately about me asking God something and then just waiting for his reply. Prayer is a, a time where I get to say, God, please do this. And then you might say yes and you might say no. I mean, on a, on a very basic answer to the, to the first question, why pray if God is, why pray if God's sovereign? I mean, the, obviously the easy answer back to that is why pray if God isn't sovereign? Why come to God and ask him to do things if the best he can do is say, I'll try my best. But nonetheless, all these questions kind of reveal that prayer is about us asking God stuff and then waiting for his reply. And I actually don't think that that's the emphasis that the Bible puts on prayer. I actually think that asking things from God is kind of a subcategory of prayer biblically. Because when you look at portions of the Bible, where it talks about prayer, where it encourages prayer, even places where prayers are specifically laid out, I think two things really become clear. One of those things is that prayer is primarily a part of our worship. So just as we uh, sing out of uh, gratefulness to God, and we love God for all he's done, and we come before him because he's commanded us to worship him, In the same way we pray out of a grateful heart because we love him, because he commands us to come before him. Prayer is part of our worship. It's first and foremost about God, not about us. It's not about, as I say, asking things of God is a subcategory of prayer. Instead, coming before God in prayer is is what we're commanded to do as part of our worship. The second thing I think that is, is quite clear in the Bible when it talks about prayer is that prayer is this kind of unique opportunity we have to reflect on who God is, on what he's done and what he's said, and to actually come before him and and seek to line our will up with his. The things that he most desires, that in prayer should be what we most desire. As As we come before him, we want to think like him, think his thoughts after him. And he delights to answer those prayers because they're his will. Just think of the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. That the first thing that Jesus tells us to to say to the Father is, Our Father in heaven, may your name be set apart as holy. May your name be glorified. The very first thing we said is, is that we would bless God's name. And then 
Uh, may your kingdom come, God's rule, God's power. May your will be done, whatever God wants done. May that happen as it is, uh, as it is in heaven, so on earth. So the first half of the Lord's Prayer, that the, Jesus, the, the very prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, is about us lining our will up with God, about seeking what God uh, first and foremost wants sought. What is, what is most precious to God? His glory. Everything else is secondary to God. His glory takes first um, precedent. And so what do we pray first? May your name be set apart as holy. May you be glorified. And then we ask him that his rule would come and his will would come. You can probably see what I'm what, what I'm saying, that, that we are being invited to put our will alongside God's and pray in that. Once we've set that in its context, once we've made it clear that God is, is the first thing on our agenda, then we move into the questions of uh, give us our sustenance for today. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But you have to notice that there's two halves to that prayer. And the first thing is all about God. The second thing then is about being shaped to be God's people. Give us what we need for today. No more. We don't want to be greedy people. We don't want to be people who, you know, glory in the fact that we only need to crumb a day. But we also don't want to be greedy people. Give us what we need and then forgive us our sins. And, and teach us through that to forgive those around us. Again, you see that imitation of God, that we would uh, forgive people as we've been forgiven. It's all about setting our will in line with God. And I think if we bear those two things in mind, that prayer is part of our worship and prayer is an opportunity to put our, our own will in line with God's, I think that really does take the pressure off praying. And I think it gives us a much warmer invitation to pray and to obey this command to pray without ceasing, to make it a habit of praying. Because I think what we're, we're taking the pressure off ourselves. It's not about whether or not God uh, gives what I ask for. It's not, uh, I don't have to make sure that I'm praying in a certain way using certain words, or, you know, um, I, I need to have not sinned for three days before I pray. It's nothing like that at all. Instead, it's, a, it's an opportunity to come before God, just as we do in any time of worship, and sit in his presence and reflect on who he is, to communicate with him, to, to have that relationship with him. I think the most um, powerful blessing of the Christian life is that God is not simply to uh, be known about, but to be known. And one of the principal ways we see that is as we, as we find out more about him, as we study um, him, that we're invited to then sit and talk to him. I've been listening recently to a podcast on uh, medieval and Reformation church history. And one thing that's really struck me is the big difference between theology books that are published today and theology books that were published in the Middle Ages and in the Reformation was the amount of prayer. In the Middle Ages and, and in the Reformation, theology books are basically a paragraph of theology and then a section of prayer because the author was like, how can I say this stuff? And then not just sit and talk to God in his presence. Nowadays, we're very good at kind of compartmentalizing the Christian life. Well, now I'm studying God. And now I'm talking to God. But actually, historically, Christians have, have said we can't know more about God without just having to stop and talk to him. And I think that's the blessing of prayer. That's what we're invited to do, to come before God, to reflect on him, and to make it part of our worship. So in light of that, let's pray. In fact, let's pray the prayer that Jesus himself teaches us. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.